There's a quote from um, the Ontario Minister of Education in 1915, and he says, no profession can really exist without a code of ethics to guide the conduct of its members. Doctors, lawyers, and clergymen have their ethical codes, but teachers can scarcely be said to have such a code. Until they have developed a professional spirit, which is characterized by loyalty to the recognized standards, they cannot rank with the learned professions. And I think that's something that's really, really important to point out. You know, everyone knows that the first code of ethics that doctors follow is do no harm. The question is, what is teachers? Hello, welcome to School Me. I'm Renee Carter with the National Education Association, the leading advocacy group for student success. NEA works tirelessly to ensure that you as educators have what you need to reach, teach, and inspire students every day. In this episode of School Me, we feature a conversation between Callie Marksberry and Patty Barrett about ethical dilemmas educators face daily. They also talk about tips for early career educators, including the use of social media and technology and the model code of educator ethics. Callie Marksberry is a career educator from Lafayette, Indiana, where she recently taught second grade. And Patty Barrett is a former high school social studies teacher in Wisconsin. Patty currently serves as Director of Professional Development and Teaching and Learning at North Dakota United, an NEA state affiliate. My name is Patty Barrett, and prior to coming to North Dakota, I was a high school social studies teacher in Appleton, Wisconsin. And through the 16 years there as a building rep, senior building rep, vice president of my local and everything, we faced a lot of different issues around ethics. And really, there's no guidelines out there. Facebook, Twitter, and lots of other social media platforms are the main methods of communication right now. Do you have any advice or some tips for our early career educators who use Facebook and these other forms of social media? Well, our code, Callie, actually deals with um, a lot more than just the social media piece. But social media is something that so many of our educators around the country are struggling to deal with. And some of the things that they deal with is a conflict between what they perceive to be as their rights under freedom of speech and what is actually prohibited or permitted based on school districts, their rules, the state rules, as well as what court cases say. So while the course definitely gives people advice and we do deal with, in some cases, people who have gotten in trouble through their districts or through the licensing board uh, because of their social media tasks, our true point is that If we want to be seen as the profession that we are as educators, we need to be brought up to the same level as doctors and lawyers and clergymen and others who all have a code of ethics. So the social media piece is a lot of times our foot in the door because it's not just our teachers and our support staff that are struggling with social media and the ethics that go with it. It's our administrators, our school boards, our superintendents, And you could go as far as saying politicians and community members and other employees in other workplaces. So we started with that as a way to really draw attention to the issue as well as what we're doing. Patty, from what you've just shared, it sounds as if there are some key pieces to remember. Having something to do with a person's role, the time of day, 
the content of whatever is occurring in the situation and setting some boundaries. Does that capture what you're saying? Yes. Thank you, Kelly. Definitely. It covers five different principles and it deals with education in general. And what we've always talked about and has been supported by other groups is that the code deals with anyone in any field of education. So whether you're a preschool teacher, you are an elementary, middle or high school teacher, or you're in higher education, this is something that can apply to you. It also applies to groups such as our licensing board, who were looking for a document to deal with things such as inappropriate use of technology. We hear cases of educators who have, for example, use their school computer for pornography. But if there's nothing in law that says that you can't do that, there's really no action our licensing board could take. So by having a code of ethics that they can use as guidelines, they then have a process to follow when faced with those situations. The five different principles deal with responsibility to the profession. It deals with responsibility to professional competence, responsibility to students, responsibility to the school community, and then finally, the responsibility and ethical use of technology. So when we face with those situations, the code of ethics doesn't always give black and white. It doesn't say, do not do this or do this. It tells you many times to use consideration when faced with a situation. The other thing it likes to do, and it points out quite a bit, is it's a point to try to have conversations. Too many times when we're faced with ethical decisions, people just close their door and they hope for the best. This gets that conversation started. And so that's a very important piece. Thank you, listeners, for joining us as we talked with Patty Barrett, the Director of Teaching and Learning at North Dakota United, on educator ethics and the use of social media, which is Principle 5 of the Model Code of Educator Ethics. If you would like to learn more information about the Model Code of Educator Ethics, go to www.nasdaq.net. That's www.nasdtec.net. What about accountability and how does that figure in here? I think what it does is there are three key pieces. One of them is being able to set appropriate boundaries. And that can vary from person to person. So someone that maybe they see that their day is from seven till five, they may set their boundaries, especially with social media for their students and parents as, you know, I'm available if you need to email me or if you want to contact me up till five o'clock. But after that, I may not be available. It actually goes back to the very first principle in the model code, which I find to be extremely important. And that is the responsibility to the profession. And one of that pieces that we like to stress to our educators is that it is important to take care of yourself. We all know that if we just keep working and working and working when we're sick, it's very well could end up that we miss more time in the long run than if we took that day in initially. The other piece there is mental health and that if you're burning out and you're stressing out, sometimes it is best for your students to take the day. It means taking that time for yourself and getting back in the swing of things. And I think those are two of them that seem to be the biggest piece 
of this code and what we push. The other one is just respect for the profession. You know, there's a quote from um, the Ontario Minister of Education in 1915, and he says, no profession can really exist without a code of ethics to guide the conduct of its members. Doctors, lawyers, and clergymen have their ethical codes, but teachers can scarcely be said to have such a code. Until they have developed a professional spirit, which is characterized by loyalty to the recognized standards, they cannot rank with the learned professions. And I think that's something that's really, really important to point out. You know, everyone knows that the first code of ethics that doctors follow is do no harm. The question is, what is teachers? And most people say do no harm, but that's really not the case because we don't have a code that everyone everywhere follows. Having been on the committee that created the Model Code of Educator Ethics, I think it's important to point out that this model was written by educators for educators. So, Patty, can you give us a short response as to what your educators in your area are saying about this as you present this information? We are getting fantastic feedback. We have had skeptics come in. You know, many of our educators hold second, third, even fourth jobs. Uh, I remember one in my class, she's a paralegal at a local attorney's office, and she took her first look at the code of ethics and said, I hate this. And we have a conversation and I asked why, and her first thing is, it seems vague. But by the end of our class, and our typical in-person class runs about 12 to 15 hours, and then we do online discussion boards afterwards. And by the end of the class, she said, I love this code. Because the conversation is what clears a lot of things up. And you can't tailor it to just one area because you never know what the questions are gonna be. So I think that is a key piece. We have had administrators in the class. We have had superintendents in the class. We have had our executive director for our licensing board take the class. And everyone walks out of that class and says, everyone needs to take this, including our early educators, because that is so, so important for them to know. There is a quote from Troy Hutchings that I think is really important with this one. And it's, the best teachers teach in the gray. And so the model code of ethics helps our educators to navigate that gray area and to be the best teachers that they can. That's great information, Patty. Thanks. I know that many of us educators, and especially early career educators in particular, use various sites such as Teachers Pay Teachers for additional resources for our classrooms. So that brings into play this whole idea of intellectual property. Who owns it? And what if you're the creator? Well, and the thing is, too, it's making the assumption that just because it's in your district and that it's allowed is it's a, that way everywhere. And so, for example, in North Dakota, there is no language whatsoever. And so people may post stuff or they may purchase stuff assuming that it's okay, but they don't know it's not. But what we found out in doing this research is people didn't know that and they just thought, well, I developed this lesson, therefore it's mine. Um, so we've been running into that. But that can be the downfall is, okay, you guys might be able to sell yours because you own it. But the question is, does the person you're buying from know that? And do they own the product? And the answer very well could be no. So it's not so much that you bought something that you'll get in trouble for, it's that teacher on the other end. So making sure that language is clear is what's important. Do you have any advice on this? So some tips to early educators as well as more experienced educators out there 
when it comes to social media, there's a couple things to be aware of. First off, remember that negative aspects of social media in the classroom can be prevented and overcome with thoughtful interaction. Many times when we go through our social media piece, it scares people. And while that's not our intent, it's always a way to help people to remember. You need to be cautious. There's a lot of pitfalls that can happen as a result of social networking. Um, Some of them that we've seen, for example, is unprofessional or offensive public postings from personal accounts such as Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and other things like that. Another thing to keep in mind with social media use is that you want to keep a separate personal and professional social media accounts. Also, review privacy settings. The other thing to keep in mind is when you're purchasing lesson plans or maybe it's bulletin board examples, things like that from websites that you may be able to get the stuff from free or you may pay for it. The one thing to be aware of there is intellectual property rights. Just because you may be able to post and get paid for what you're doing in your lessons, that doesn't mean everyone is. So it's something you can look at check in your contracts, check in your policies, pay attention to that kind of information and see who owns the rights to what you're doing. So those are just a few suggestions that we give out here in North Dakota. And I would recommend for any early educator to be aware of. Thank you, Patty. Wow, lots of food for thought. You've given us some sound advice for our listeners today. Thank you very much. Listeners, don't forget, if you haven't already subscribed to School Me, do so now so you don't miss any of our episodes. And also, remember to download the NEA Today app for great magazines, advice, tips, and more. Thanks for listening. This is Callie Marksberry. Have a wonderful day.